More cowbell indeed. Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined by my dad, Jack. That's the two generations represented here. Uh, occasionally we throw in a third, but today it's just the two of us, as usual. How are you doing today, Dad? Yeah. I'm doing great, Todd. And you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Getting around in a fair amount of rain here on the left coast. Um, ah. We've, for the last well, week or so, just had little bits and pieces when it's not raining, and it seems like it's going to keep going for at least a couple more days. Yeah, well, it's been on and off here, but we got a, had a nice day, yes, beautiful day yesterday. Mm. The only way to put it, we got three days in a row now, 70-plus degrees. And, and uh, anyway, the rain uh, will be back Friday, basically, yeah. all day, I think, and, and some tomorrow morning, so... It's not going away. Yeah. No, our, our news strange, guy you know, was, was showers. our news guy last night was exclaiming uh, how nice it was that we almost hit 60 in Los Angeles. So so it's been a little on the cold side, kind of uh, um, I think a lot of the uh, temperatures coming down out of the north, you know, so it's uh, it's a cold storm for us, not yeah. not one that's coming up out of the Gulf of Mexico. Or I guess we don't usually get the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. but we get the uh, Gulf Baja uh you know, uh, yeah. along this end, this side of the country. Well, we've definitely had a we've definitely had a mild winter here. It's just mm-hmm. amazing how generally nice it's been. I mean, it's been cool, maybe, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah, not, not not even freezing very much. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe ten days. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's usually what we get, and you know, I mean, even even with the the wet weather that we've had and the cold weather, I don't know that we've had any days, at least where I'm at, where it got to freezing. But uh, the snow line's been down to about two thousand feet. Now we're sitting at just under eight hundred feet here where I'm at. So, um, you know, it's it's much colder than we were used to, and definitely much wetter. It's been a very damp winter thus far. But uh, you know, they keep telling yeah. us that's what we need. And then, of course, now that we're getting all this rain, they're saying, well, that's not enough rain, and it's all running off, so we're not capturing it, so it's not doing us the good, oh. that it, you know, because it's all coming too much at, two, at one point, you know, or one time. We need to spread it out over more time so that more of it can be captured. It's like, well, you know. Need some capture pond. Whatever. Right? You, kind, <laughs> you kind of get the feeling that, you know, it's just they're going to project doom and gloom no matter what, so... You know, whether it's raining or not raining, they're going to be complaining about, you know, it's not perfect. And so, yeah, okay, it's not. And um, I I will tell you that they show pictures of Lake Mead, which is, you know, behind the big Hoover Dam that provides electricity for much of the southwest United States and and, uh, as well as, you know, a, a primary water source of the Colorado River. And it is way, way low, and all of the rain and weather that we've been getting has not done much to raise that water level um, significantly. It's oh, I, just, oh I thought it had. Well, it's and going it up. It's gone up, and it's such a massive lake. I mean, going up, you know, a foot is is amazing. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, double digits feet low, and it's, it's you know, we've gone up <laughs> a foot or two, you know, it's it, because we've had yeah. m- multiple years of drought, and quite frankly— um, from what I've been reading, we apparently have been, for a significant amount of time, taking more water out of it than goes into it. And so, uh, you know, if you're not managing your water use on the back end, you're going to drain the reservoir. And that's what's happened. It was just, yeah. it's such a huge reservoir, so many millions of cubic feet of water that are billions or trillions even, um, that it's, it's, um, 
you know, you you've got this big reserve and you don't realize that that you know it isn't endless. Even though even yeah. even though it's replenishing, you know, if you're taking it out faster than it's going in, it's eventually going to disappear, which not only means we you know are absolutely yeah. out of that water, but it also means we're out of that you know that. Uh, that power source because well, a lot of electricity is well, generated by that dam. Well, a rare thing's happened recently in California. That is, you're losing population. So I have a bad connection here, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I hear you kind of breaking it up a little bit. You know, we sounded good when we started, but uh, you know, you were breathing yeah. and threw the whole thing off. <laughs> well, it's. I, I I told you I knew that this uh, plug into my computer was mm -hmm. not good. But when I switched to the other device, the uh, adapter, uh, it didn't work right. So right. I'm using the best adapter for my microphone setup here. Uh, and I figured, oh. I don't know where, where the problem is. I hope it's not mm -hmm. in the computer, you know? Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so, you know, um, I don't think you're losing enough population is going to make any difference with regard to the Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been an outflow. Weather. I mean, you know, we they they talk about it as like, you know, it's the first time that it's been um a a measured you know, outflow that way, but there has been um significant outflow before California. A lot of it used to go to Oregon and Washington, so much so that people in Oregon and Washington were actively campaigning for people to not come there Stop. <laughs> exactly um you know and now it seems to have switched to like texas and florida um you know i mean a lot of people yeah. say hey we you know you like living in california because it's got nice weather and and uh you know but you know a lot of people who live here don't go to the beach very often and so even though there is a beach there doesn't do you much good you know you, i mean it's nice to know it's there i guess the the you know yeah. ocean breezes help keep the air cleaner um same with those that live in the mountains yeah we have mountains but unless you have to be one of the people who lives there which is by far not the majority of people um <laughs> then you know that you can look at them they're pretty yeah but you yeah. know if you actually look at where the vast majority of people live it's not the mountains and it's not the beach it's somewhere in between and that means it's pretty much the same as anywhere else so what's well, the, I, you know, I like, I like where we live so well now that I don't want to tell anybody about it. <laughs> right. Yes. The Charlotte, North Carolina metropolitan area is perfect. Everybody moved there. Yeah. No. Except it's, it's growing, it's growing like mad, you know, now. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's a nice place. Everywhere you turn, there's construction going on, you know? Yeah. Including your your sister family, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, was it they they built a house when they moved there, got the house just the way they want, then immediately put the house up for sale, moved into a rental while they're now building another house. So they they seem to be serial house builders, you know. You know, you know, he timed it pretty good because the mm. prices are on their way down now, and some people are talking about a a big slide, but I don't mm. see it, uh, you know. It's hard to it's just a guess based on what happened many years ago, you know. So Yeah. You can always you can always find whatever you're looking for, right? <laughs> it's gone down, I guess, somewhat, because yeah. uh because there's a shortage of houses, 
though. So you think if there's people, it's just not growing as fast, I guess, is the thing. It's growing, but it's growing at a slower rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, I mean, everything like that goes ups and downs, you know, depending on when you're looking at it. So, anyway, uh, we've got several articles that we've kind of taken a look at. And one that uh, uh, I, I posted to take a peek at is this 15 inch MacBook. Mm-hmm. And I've always, I've always felt my old, my yeah. very first MacBook was a 15 inch, and I yes. always thought that was great. The, the rumored, and it's MacBook Air. Yes. It's the rumored MacBook 15 inch, and it's a rumored 15 inch MacBook Air. Although I've also heard that there may, there, that it may not be called Air; it may just be called MacBook, because Apple's gone back and forth with that name for many different items over the years as well. You know, not, yeah, I think not saying Pro people. or Air or anything; it's just the MacBook. Well, the air was kind of their school, you know, first. Well, the, the idea of the air was that it was like bubble. light as air. Remember, Steve Jobs introduced the air yeah. by pulling it out of a manila envelope, you yeah. know, thin to the really. shock of everybody. It's like, yeah, it's thin and light and, and you know, made with, you know, with the expected Apple um, uh, hardware expertise so that, you know, these things are durable and, well, last, that, and that, you know. That, that that was the introduction of the new technology for manufacturing uh, uh, notebook uh, cases. You know, he, he they took a solid piece of aluminum and right, yeah, space for things. And, yeah, they're they're you know air quotes here unibody design because they had aluminum cases yeah. before, but they were basically screwed together with a bottom and a top, and a, and so these were their unibody design, single piece for the base of the the computer. Um, and remember, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but the very first MacBook Air uh, only lasted one year, and then they redesigned it almost immediately. Um, initially, in order to get to any ports, you had to uh, open a little door that flipped down on one side, and that was pretty quickly recognized as something that was a little flaky, you know, not yeah. 100% trustworthy, or as far not as reliable. <laughs> right, you know, easy to break off, easy to to um, have issues with. And so they said, you know what? Get rid of that. Just put the ports on the side. But the air, yep. you know, light, thin, affordable. It was the last one to get um, the high-res screens. You know, as late yeah. as 2017, they were still selling it with um, a non um Well, see, it's a, high it's quality a good screen. thing that I bit, that I bit on the uh, 13-inch MacBook uh it's a pro though. That yeah, yours is the 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 thirteen inch pro, which is the it's their old design language. That one was from the uh, like sort of twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one era body style, and then they came out with the new MacBook Pros, which are thinner and have reintroduced ports. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that somebody might want ports. Dang it. Trying to get you. I don't know what's going on on your end. Everything sounds fine on my end, except that you're going dang it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) my headset cuts out, okay? So Uh, that's my first news. So I hear it from the speaker, and I'm I'm worried it will get squeals. Right, yeah, the feedback loop. So um, I didn't get any squeals. Everything sounded fine from mine, and other than you were clearly not not happy with something. 
So, by the way, in the course of doing this as we started, I just went ahead and ordered you a one-piece USB-C to mini connector so that you don't have to use that adapter at all. So you'll have a new new cable coming on Friday <laughs> that that will attach oh, your microphone oh. without any adapters. Okay, can I plug my power cable into it at the same time? Uh, it's not a it's not an adapter, it's a cable. It's a one piece of wire, but doesn't your computer have more than one port on it? Yeah, it does. I can plug it in there, can't I? Yeah. I got two plugs. Right. That's yeah, what I thought. So one of them okay. is power and one of them is you don't need an adapter. You just need to get from USB-C to a USB mini, not a micro. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that by, mini adapter is weird. The way, by the way, are both of these uh, plugs the same? Doesn't matter which one? or, or uh, As far them? as I know, you're talking about the, the actual ports on the computer. As far as I yes. know, um, I don't think that you have to use like one for... Um, you know, one of them is specifically for power, and the other one is, you know, I/O. I mean, I think I yeah. think they're both identical. You can use either for either, however you want. You see, um, you see, this comes back to the fact that they don't ship manuals anymore like they used to with these things, mm -hmm. and so I've just never bothered yet to go find a manual if one even exists for this book, uh, notebook, and read it. I I used to always just sit down first thing i do is go read through the manuals so i knew my machine the mm -hmm. first machine i ever bought that didn't have that you know it's it's somewhere online i suppose i'm just gonna have mm -hmm. to have to do that yeah well and I, apple being typically apple is adverse to labeling anything so you know heaven help you if you try to understand the difference <laughs> but you know i mean really right i mean okay right. so Thunderbolt, two Thunderbolt USB 4 ports with support for charging displays port, Thunderbolt 3, USB 4, and USB 3.1 Gen 2. So according to Apple's website on the MacBook Pro 13-inch, those two ports are both the same. They're capable of charging, display port, Thunderbolt, USB. Okay, that's great. Cool. That's great. I'd rather not have to think about it. And there's no labels by them anyway. Well, you know, of course, that's what we're saying. It's Apple. Old. They're not going to put, like, words on something and muck up their beautiful design, right? Right. <laughs> like, no, that's not. <laughs> well, that's not happening. No, we're not going to label anything. You just try it and figure it out. See what happens, you know? Yeah. So... Which, you know, but again, the, the flip side of that is, is Apple's way is you don't make one one kind and one another and then have to label them. Their opinion is you don't have to label them because they're identical, right? They'll pay the extra money to make sure that they both have the same capabilities rather than trying to save a buck and make one of them not a charging port. Yep. You know? And uh, I noticed that the Mac Daily News says, it's the perfect Apple for aging eyes. That's what I have. And mm. priced right. But I didn't see a price in here anywhere. Well, that's because it's a made-up product. It doesn't exist yet. Or ever, maybe. Oh. We don't know. <laughs> it's not been announced. So their idea about the perfect price is baloney. You know, they're... Daily news predictions, right? Right. I mean, they're... Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they're hoping it'll be priced <laughs> right. You know, but they're calling. They're assuming it's going to be an air, and as a result of being an air, it's supposed to be at the low end of their price panel. You know, I'm saying if, yeah. if whether it's an air or whether they just call it a MacBook, it's going to be less expensive than the Pros, but it probably oh, yeah. is not going yeah. to be, you know, cheap. I mean, there's a lot of people who would say that their cheapest computer, which is still a thousand bucks, isn't right. cheap. 
<laughs> you know, right. you know, in the PC world, 250 bucks, 300 bucks, you can get a working laptop. It's not a great laptop, and yeah. I'll argue that that you're you're spending a thousand bucks on a MacBook Air is actively better use of your money because you won't have to replace it as often. It will be a functionally working computer for you. It's built much better, but it'll be a working computer for a much longer period of time. I mean, my family has used MacBook yep. Airs, you know, literally daily for ten years. You know, yep, and still working. You know, at at the le- at the most, they've had like you know, um, the the hinge gets a little floppy. You know, it's not as uh-huh. doesn't hold up you know nice and tight like it used to. Um, yep, but uh, worn down a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> but other than that, they're still functioning computers. You know, um, that's sure. you know with minimal requirement for any kind of maintenance. You don't have to run. You know, none of them were running any kind of of uh, uh, software to keep out viruses they you know they chugged along for 10 well, years that... upgrading new software and getting new features every year as they own the thing um you know i think that's a phenomenal value compared to a 250 dollars pc yeah. that conks out in a couple of years you know dang thing but uh yeah yeah as you were saying that's you know that's 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 part of the 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 beauty that's, of that's... the mac uh ecosystem right is that um they're durable and are you still there i'm hearing beeps and boops now i uh okay the computer Uh uh-huh i just put this down if it just matter and not try to listen to the hearing to the uh yeah doesn't uh, seem to be mattering right now you i can hear you fine okay yeah, so seems okay. Seems Oops. like now, now I can't. I don't know. Oh, okay. It went completely to the headset, so that's the problem. When it comes back on, <laughs> yeah, then I can't hear you. Oh well. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to move here, but yeah. Well, it's hard to sit perfectly still. I understand. So hopefully, the new cable will resolve the problem. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. But, Nothing worse than a flaky cable. Oh, I know. Yeah. Hate Any, it. Anyway, uh, the, uh, this thing really sounds like a nice machine. Uh, well, of course, this is also the M2 chip, and so it would be an upgrade for me there. Uh, but I, I was going to say, anytime I we, we were talking about security mm-hmm. software, uh, I've never had security software since I left uh, Mac, uh, PCs. PCs yeah. and got my first MacBook, and that was in 2008, I think. Yeah, Originally. yeah, and and the only time I've ever run security software on a Mac is when it was a company issued Mac, and the IT people required it, and that lasted oh. for about a half a day because I then reformatted the hard drive, set it up myself, and took all that crap off. And and then within about uh, uh, a half an hour, the IT guy was knocking on my door going, hey, what's going on with your computer? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, here's what I did. And I explained why I did it all. And he looked at me and kind of paused and then went, don't call us if anything goes wrong. And I said, don't worry. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and, and we both parted ways and never had a problem. In fact, we became good friends later. But it was like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, I kind of understand. He was also an IT guy who was coming from a Windows system. And so when he was specking the systems and all the computers they were going to buy from the get-go, one of the things he did was go out and price, you know, virus software, antivirus software to put on these computers because that's what he always had done for all of his Windows computers. I don't think he realized that you didn't really need to do that for the Mac computers. Not that they're completely virus-free and perfect. But yeah. I'll tell you what, in the uh, decades that I've been around Max, I've not had the problem in any but, way, shape, know, or form I, like I do on like you do on Windows computers. Yeah. Over this long period of years that I've been on Max, there's been, oh, half a dozen times when I, I sort of thought, gee, maybe I would like to have just a Windows machine just on the side, you know, to do something. And so I can right. load in the most, most, mm-hmm. mostly uh, I, I, would like to go back and uh, and use Microsoft uh, Word. It's, it's called Word, right? Word is their word processor, word, but yeah. it already hey. exists on the Mac. You meant? Did you mean um, uh, access the database? No, no, no. Word, but with the basic in it. Oh, right, you know, right. Yeah, Mac, you're right. It have the basic. Yeah, it doesn't have the because the. That uh, was, that, what do they that call was it? Was the basic for applications? Really is what they called it. Was that? It was just built in. Right. Know. It was the scripting uh, language built in, but they actually called it like because uh, they called it basic. It was it wasn't, but it was basic for applications, yeah. I think. And so it was like a subset oh. of their full basic language. Yeah. But, uh, but very it was built in very capable. All the Office products. Right. And uh, anyway. So my uh, and, my suggestion and, to you is as soon as I catch, I'm going to say as soon as I catch myself thinking about going to a Windows machine, then this thing pops back into my mind, the ugliness of having to deal with every time you you turn it on, you got to reload a new uh, virus uh, upgrade or something. Yeah, you boot it up and then you wait for 10 minutes while it updates itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was maddening. It was maddening. Yeah. And because unless you used it daily, you know, which mm-hmm. I don't. Even when I use my Windows machines daily, there was enough times. And the other thing they used to do, and I can't say this with modern Windows, but earlier versions of Windows used to be completely unfriendly. I mean, in the way that you would be in the middle of doing something, and it would just pop up and say, we're, we're taking over your computer now. And and you would basically yeah. then drum your fingers for 20 minutes while they did back, you know, a, a, an update and reboot the, the computer reboots itself. And you got, you know, no warning in advance, you could be in the middle well, of typing something. I had, you know, in the middle of doing a presentation with PowerPoint in a, in, a, in, a, in a room with people, and it's just the computer just says, okay, I'm taking over now. Thank you. Goodbye. And you're like, what? And, and, <laughs> and when you get to my age, you know, 10 minutes is long enough for me to forget what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I would, you know, I, I'd have to start completely over and rethink whatever it was I wanted to do. And I yeah. probably couldn't remember it even. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't recall. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. no, it's frustrating. Um, what I was going to say is the way to do that, if you want to do is don't buy a computer. Go buy a license for Parallels and a, and a license for Windows and just put it on your Mac. And yeah. then you, the, yeah. then you can yeah, run Windows and Word and whatever yeah. else you want right there on the same device. Yep. Yep. I, I, in fact, i kind of thinking that maybe that's a thing that just, just because uh, I just have, have a number of memories for Visual Basic, they called it, I guess. Wasn't right. It basic. Yeah. Uh, in, in, uh, under uh, the uh, Office apps, I didn't. I never had a separate standalone, full 
Visual Basic, you know. Uh, but I liked it built into the app so that you could automate pretty much anything you did. Yep. And, uh, yeah, VB, VBA is what we used to call it, right? It's Visual Basic for Applications, and it was built right. into yep. all of the That's Office it. suite. VBA, yep. Yeah. And what was, I assume it still exists. I don't know. I believe it does, I yeah. I haven't looked at it for years, but anyway, that was that was my main software before I switched out yeah. to uh, Apple systems. Right. Well, the nice thing about it is it allowed you to essentially make a custom application that used Word, Excel, Access, or PowerPoint, or any of their sub-functions as the guts of this new application that was, you know, custom written oh, yeah. to do something. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, literally could build your own interface and own screens yep. and then have, you know, Excel and Word do things in the background. Um, yep. It was, yeah. That, that, those, those apps were like libraries to the v mm -hmm. Visual Basic, you know? That's what they really were, code, code libraries. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I, 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 this machine we're talking about now, this 15-inch MacBook is all rumor, but... It's just fun to dream about what I was I really kind of wanted, but didn't want to wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't really exist yet. But you get the 15-inch screen, which is a bigger, easier-to-read screen for people who need and want bigger screens or have, you know, very um, data-dense information that they run in their apps. I, I can imagine, like, if you're an accountant and you do a lot of stuff in Excel, a big screen that's clear is important to you because, you know, you want to see all the rows and all the, all the columns when you're doing things and helping, you know, make decisions. And so, um, you know, bigger yep. screens, bigger screens are better. Um, it's just too bad that Apple has kind of not served that market very well. Uh, you know, they've yeah. always had a big screen computer, but right. it was a very expensive one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they you know the the if you wanted a big screen, then you had to get the big computer that had all the power and stuff that you maybe didn't really need. That the base computer would work for you. What you really wanted was a bigger screen. So the idea of a of a MacBook or MacBook Air that is you know on the more economical side of the Apple laptop lineup, but gave you a bigger screen. You know, that's the thing that they've kind of and, – and their their direction in their current architecture also forces more of that kind of deciding, right, in that, um, you know, here's the package of stuff that we give you, and you can buy this package or that package, but you can't pick and choose what pieces within the package you want to create a machine that fits your specific needs. You have to buy the package that fits your needs, yeah. and nowadays that package not only includes – monitor size or screen size, but it includes disk size and memory size. And, uh, you know, uh, and so, I mean. Yeah. And for our, for our listeners' information, I also have leg problems. So I, I can't sit in a normal chair for, for a long time. Right. I do sit during, during this uh, uh, podcast uh, upright. But generally, yeah. I sit in the chair with my legs up. And yeah. therefore, I, I can't use a normal desk computer very comfortably, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, so. frankly, if you sit at a desk and you have a place to set it up that's not buried under, you know, the, the cruft of the rest of the house, which seems like our offices always are, um, <laughs> you know, the best best deal is is by far is the Mac Mini and a, as big a screen as you want, Right. I mean, right. you can buy a 4K television to use as a monitor that, that can cover a wall if you wanted it that big. Um, 
I mean, I've got a 40-inch 4K TV in front of me that I use as a monitor. And uh, and it's actually, for me, it's almost too big. Because, but I can have, like, you know, four normal-size windows open easily um, and can bounce back and forth between the apps very easily. Uh, and I run yeah. off of, uh, you know, a Mac Mini uh, that's here. So, yep. you know. But I mean, at what they're now uh, they dropped a hundred bucks when they came out with the M2 M2 devices, they even dropped the Mac Mini price by a hundred dollars. So uh, you can get into it for now. What is it? Four ninety nine, or so I think it's four ninety nine. Wow. I think it's five hundred bucks for the base base Mac Mini now, which um, you know that's a, that's an impressive price for a uh, it it, re- it really is for that's a very impressive. powerful computer. Yep. You know, and especially if you've already got a keyboard, mouse, and and monitor that you can use that you don't need to start over, right? Um, Because it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't come with those things, but you can certainly add them back in. Uh, Yeah, let's see. So, yeah, it's $599, so it's $600 is the base computer. That's with an 8-core CPU, 10-core GPU, 8 gigabytes of unified memory, and 256 memory. Uh, gigabytes uh, SSD gigabytes. storage. Yep. You know? So. And a lot of people, it's funny, too, this is something that I think that um, that everybody who's in the Apple world is getting used to the idea of is, you know, we used to say you needed X amount of memory to run a certain number of apps and run them well. And I think mm-hmm. what we're finding is is that, you know, while, yes, more memory makes, mo- you know, if you're running many, many apps or many, many tabs open on your browser, that more memory makes the thing run better, that 8 gigabytes of memory on an M-series chip is not the same as 8 gigabytes of memory on an Intel chip. And part of it is is because they do have... Uh, not only unified memory, but the really fast SSD storage is basically right there on package with the processors. And they've created pipelines to those things that are very fast. And so, you know, for years, computers have used virtualized memory and swapping out to their storage unit, whether it be a, a hard drive or SSDs. And the SSDs made, it was like a leap forward for everybody because now that became much more functional but Apple's gotten to the point now where you almost don't even realize whether it's using unified memory or whether it's using uh, a virtualized memory off of an SSD. And so you can get by with an 8-gigabyte machine and do a lot of things with an 8-gigabyte machine that you could not have done on an Intel-based 8-gigabyte machine. Yeah, it's a whole new ballgame. It really is. It really is. You the, know, rules so. of, mm-hmm. the rules of constructing... Uh, computer architecture have uh, have been shifted quite a bit. Yeah. No, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, concern, I think, when they first came out and said, well, you didn't provide for enough uh, memory for these devices to, to do what they needed to do. But when you actually start using them and seeing how fast they were, it was like, wow, okay. Um, we're not quite sure why, but it doesn't seem to matter. And now it's sort of becoming apparent that it's, it's that they, you know, they're, they're, and when they say SSD storage and unified memory, you know, that's the other thing people don't realize when they're saying, well, you know, that Mac laptop cost $1,000 uh, compared to a lot of the PC laptops that are out there. Apple is using premium parts. You know, the memory and the SSD storage are the widest bandwidth that's available 
you know, technologically in, in, in volume and also the fastest available. In, and so, you know, if you were to go actually spec your PC to match what you're getting hardware-wise on the Mac, the PC would cost as much or more. You know, in a lot of cases. Yep. Now, there are some cases where Apple's clearly, you know, this is where they're making their profit. Like, you know, the the amount that they charge for upgrades to memory and storage don't match the market price of that memory and storage in any way, shape, or form. But uh, right. But don't fool yourself into thinking that, you know, just because you've got a PC that says it has the same amount of memory and the same amount of storage, that that's an equivalency. No. Yes, it's... The architecture matters a whole lot, and and mm-hmm. where it resides matters, uh, right? Just as much. Yeah. Well, and and and, 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 the, and their choice of which which kind of SSD. SSD is not a monolithic thing, you know. There are SSD yeah. drives that are much faster, and uh, and have um, uh, longer. Uh, you know, they're designed to have um, more durable on-off cycles, life cycles, for the switches inside. And yeah. so, you know, there's a difference between buying the premium storage device and the the more discount storage device. And it shows up in both the longevity of your device and the speed at which your device functions. You know, uh, I suspect that uh, there's a lot of, of uh, software support for figuring out how to lay out programs in these new machines that, that didn't exist at all. Back when I was uh, designing computers, yeah, uh, it, it, because you know you can put sort of what looks like external storage on these chips, but you can also make the RAM go as big as your addressable uh, space is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and fill, fill up that first. Uh, but you know, then then you got to manage that me- memory as well, right? So you know. Well, that's the advantage Apple has, right? Because they they not only developed the um, the developers, you know, system, the compiler and and their developers' tools, but the hardware that everything's going to run on. So that compiler Absolutely. that compiler is optimized to take advantage of you know the unique features of that hardware, since they now control it down to the chip level, right? The architecture, because they control it down to the chip level, they can say. Hey, we're going to take advantage of this in ways that we just couldn't before. What what I was trying to come to uh, is to basically say that unlike the division that used to be exist between the hardware and software designers for a particular computer system, that's been broken down considerably because if you're going to build good software for today's computer, you need to be an expert on the hardware architecture itself in order to build good efficient software right so you you got to be smarter now i'm sure they've built software tools that help them in making some of these decisions as well so they have software helping the designers of new software uh so so, i mean that that's surely where it's gone yeah because uh it's it's critical to get the most out of your hardware yeah but there's that function of, of going through it after you've got something working optimizing it Right. Absolutely. And I suspect you're absolutely right that there are tools that help you optimize, you know, but I think it's probably more optimized to begin with just because Apple now controls, you know, it, you know, literally, you know, chips to nuts. Right. I mean, it's it's um, right. And so it's going to be more optimized code from the get go. Yeah. Yep. 
so it's it's a complicated thing to even talk about uh, right. how you compensate for these things. But in in uh, when it comes down to it, uh, good good uh, systems uh, work really well together, and that requires understanding of both sides of the equation, the hardware and the software. You can't be, uh, they used to be segmented in such a way that you didn't really need to know, under, you know, anything much about the hardware, you know, right. if you were a software guy. Yeah. Now, I, I'm not saying that's not still the case for some kind of software, maybe the application level, you know, there's, there's a system stuff that can uh, provide an easier interface for people to try to provide some isolation uh, but uh, clearly the system all the system software is intimate uh, has intimate knowledge of the hardware in it I'm talking about the OS right. stuff and and how it allocates memory and all that kind of stuff that's a that's a really sophisticated art these days mm -hmm. and and it has to be but Nevertheless, that's the advantage that uh, Apple has had over the rest of the industry for so long. The industry was always broken up as making some basic assumptions is that you didn't need that knowledge, you know, of, of the hardware in order to do a good job and to get, get the maximum performance out of it. But I'd say it's now critical, yeah. at least for the system software, what, what I refer to as system software, all of the stuff that Apple sure. provides to support the user. Yeah. Well, there was also a mindset, I think, for a long period of time because the CPUs, the hardware was getting so much better generation after generation that it didn't matter, right? Whatever, if it ran sluggish this right. year on next year's chips, it was going to be great because because they kept right. getting faster and faster, uh, which did, I think, probably lead to some fairly lazy programming habits by a lot of people because it was like, well, it, we didn't have to optimize, right? It didn't matter. Right. Um, but, uh, and the flip side of that is, is like, like we're saying, I think that the tools for development, especially on the Mac side, while there's a lot of developers who have complained about how Apple, you know, relates to their and works with their developers, um, their tools are absolutely optimized to run on their chips and their computers uh, in a way that is, you know, much more granular than the Windows development kit is for the hardware that it runs on because it runs on such a variety of different pieces of hardware. Yep. You know, just absolutely by, by virtue of that fact alone, there, the, the windows stuff is never going to be as optimized for, for their devices, you know, unless, unless it's a very specialized thing that was written for a specific model of a specific computer and, you know, and, and it was written for a corporate use and used in that corporation. Um, and I know some of that kind of stuff yeah. has existed. I was listening to um, somebody the other day saying that, uh, you know, if you, there's a, um, uh, in the Boston area, there's still a uh, computer swap meet that goes on. And he said that, you know, you can go and, and see a box of like old PCs sitting there and they'll say, you know, 10 bucks for the whole box. But if it's this certain model, uh, then that particular model sells for like $300. And, you know, it's a 20-year-old computer. But the reason it's expensive is because there's a certain, I think it's, he said it was a Honeywell control system for a, uh, you know, a, a building's uh, air handling unit that runs yeah. on, that was custom written to run on that model of that computer. And so uh, yeah. when people find them, they 
hang on to them and jack and, the price. And yeah, those <laughs> those become very valuable because you know nobody's ever gone back and rewritten that piece of software. Well, you know, buildings don't get swapped out every five years. So, so you know, right. you know that year of that model of that computer is very valuable to those those people because they need. Yeah, you know, in fact, in fact, I I often uh, wonder how hard people at um, uh, let's say Apple have thought about all of this uh, Windows software is out there and whether they could go capture uh, customers to mm. run that software away from the the nominal Intel chips and right. stuff that people depend on. Because now with the hardware and uh, the speed that they advantages that they have, they're significant enough yeah. that they could run faster than the Windows machines and you know outperform the other machines and therefore, they could basically sell themselves as having the ability to run anybody's software. Right. You know, it doesn't well, have to be just Intel software or instead of Windows, they could run, uh, you know, any Windows software even if they wanted to. Right. Well, I think that's what that recent announcement with Parallels was pretty much saying is, is that now you can run your Windows software on a Mac and it's going to be, uh, you know, as fast or faster than it would be, yeah. you know, on, running yeah, you, it on a Windows-based or a, a an Intel-based computer. How how many IT guys are out there whispering in their boss's ear and says, hey, if you get me this software, we don't need these PCs anymore because we can do it all with this machine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how many of I, – I know that there is a – at least uh, from what I have seen in, you know, in working in the IT field for many years – that there are a lot of, especially back-end server-based people who don't have a lot of enthusiasm for moving to Mac hardware. Um, you know, certainly not yeah. the Mac OS because they're used to using Windows or in, in a lot of cases on the server and used to using Linux. And they don't have a desire to move to, you know, that looks like the great that, unknown that, to them. You know, that's the wilderness. And they look at that and go like, why on earth? What yeah, I want to go well, there. Means, it, it means they've got to start over in terms of their education. They, you know, it, right? Yeah, exactly. It means that that they they while they can lever, leverage a lot of understanding of how things have to work, how to actually make them work, means you know new skills have to be developed. There's a lot of training involved in figuring it out and how to work it. And yeah. let's face it, most of the um, the Mac stuff is not really oriented towards you know, server functions anyway. Uh, and Apple yeah. has pretty much, you know, backed off from that world. At one point in time, they had, they used to sell an actual server, uh, a, a rack-mounted system. And yes, you can get yeah. the Mac Pro as a rack mount now, but it's not really set up as a, as a, you know, traditional server. That's that computer is really sold as, you know, you may rack mount it, but it's usually for production purposes, not necessarily mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, server room type work. It's something Apple just yep. kind of walked away from that, you know. They actually used to sell a separate version of their OS tuned specifically for being, you know, a, a, a server version of Mac OS. And then they uh, – that eventually became some some additional functions that you could download in, into just the basic OS. And then that disappeared. So they've just, you know, abdicated their yeah. their presence in the server room. Yeah. Anyway uh... – how how long do you think it'll take for the uh, PC guys to come out with a, a, a new high-speed PC? You know, you kind of lock yourself to an instruction set 
with with these with all this software, mm -hmm. and uh, in order to really design a new high speed system with the new technologies and stuff, you hate to go back and try to make it fit yeah. some old instruction well, set. You know, the uh, both AMD and Intel have in the last year. Uh, you know, started releasing CPUs that basically took some of the same ideas that Apple had done in terms of integrating more stuff on the chip and creating, you know, multiple cores, you know, I mean, they'd had multi-core CPUs before, but they've been increasing that in order to sort of try to keep up. Uh, again, because of the way that market is so fragmented, you know, Intel and AMD will make the chip. Somebody else makes the computer. Somebody else makes the operating system, you know. Right. And and so it's hard, it's hard for them to really compete at the, at at the core level with somebody like Apple, who's doing all of those things. And so they can have the guy who makes the chip talk to the guy who makes the computer and talk to the guy who makes then the operating system and say, well, how do we make these you know three things work together optimally? And you know, I, the other guys can't do that, that. You know. When you kind of look ahead, you wonder how this is all going to come out in the wash, you know, because uh, in the in this business, speed and performance is everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it used to be, you know, that when they first came out with microcomputers, I remember uh, people would poo-poo those that were had been in the computer business because all they knew were mainframes. Right. You know, because they're so fast, you know. Well, you weren't really worried about fast because oh you were doing thousands of jobs like word processing i didn't care about fast you were right. faster than the people using right it anyway well yeah but if so, you've got you know you need a fast computer when your mainframe is is serving a word processor for a thousand people when you're when you're when your cpu is serving the word processor for one guy on his laptop it doesn't have to be as right. fast <laughs> right yeah that's right but but now what's amazing is you know you think about it how much power we have in one little chip that you can put on yeah. your phone you know yeah that that can do ten times thousands of times what you're really using it to do yeah you know? yeah the well the uh, thing they've been doing it for several years now but the, you know the idea there to to draw that visually people have said you know you're carrying around more computing power in your pocket than we use to put a man on the moon yep. You know, and that's been the case it's now for a for a decade. We've that's you know, we've been say, able yeah. to say that. So, so, but but somebody's going to come along at some point and say, you know, we got all this power uh, that we we could do so much more if we just would, and yeah. they'll figure a way to do it. You know, yeah, but yeah. Some, some, somehow. Uh, it it just seems wasteful almost, you know. <laughs> it does, you know. It's it's almost like one of those things where, at the operating system level, Apple should have a way for you to opt in if you want to. You don't have to, but you can opt in if you want to, and let your your um, uh, CPU processing, you know, your your basically unused processing cycles be used for something, you know, and like right. like like you can go into. Um, you know, Apple has their um, thing set up with their health kit where you can opt in to um, uh, studies, different medical studies and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. They should be you should be able to also opt in and say, you know, I want to give my additional CPU cycles when I'm not using my computer or when it's sitting idle to, you know, do calculations for 
you know, maybe it's mine for for uh, for Bitcoin, and the profits go to a charity you select, or maybe it's you know help SETI process data, you know, to find it, you know, it's extraterrestrial life or whatever, whatever processing things out there, you know, is there, are there, you know, there are science people who are trying to solve uh, big physics problems, you know, that need more processing power that we could, you could give it to, you know, you just say, Hey, I'm going to donate, yeah. you know, my processing, my free C- CPU cycles to this cause, you know? Yep. Yeah. I think that would be awesome. Now, on this, when it comes to like phones, uh, a lot of that free cycles also involve free or, or data, you know, and so you have to be careful about that. But almost everybody has a you know a free data plan these days. So, mm-hmm. what what has been really achieved thus far to a, almost a, a, an incredible degree is the fact that the cloud out there is such an expansion of storage over anything that anybody had ever imagined. Yeah. And it's virtually accessible to billions of people. Right. You know? And with the faster and, connectivity now that's yeah. basically ubiquitous, it you know, you it you can get to it anywhere and yeah. quickly. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. And in fact, uh, there was uh, I was listening to the news the other day and that Russia was complaining about uh, all of the satellites that are up there, and basically they were talking about uh, Amazon, or uh, can't think of his name. Uh, uh, yeah, the Starlink uh, stuff that's being done by Musk. Starlink, that's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Musk. Yeah. Uh, stuff and and how you know they're they're I think they made a, Putin made a threat to take out some of the stuff that uh, he thought, right, but there's so many, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, I'm not saying. I mean, they'd have to ruin it for the entire world, you know. The yeah, whole space well, thing. and the those Starlink ones are at relatively low uh, orbit in order to cut down on latency, and so they're low flying. Yeah. And, and you know, when he launches a rocket, he always sends up a few more, you know. But he sends up like another hundred or so of those little Starlink satellites, yeah. and they're tiny, so they'd be a very hard to hit. B, if you did hit them, you're creating well, lots of of garbage now floating around in space that we have to keep track of. But you know why they're picking on him? It's because he then, he donated a bunch of Starlink uh, satellite uplinks to Ukraine so that they could stay connected. That's right. And so that's why Russia's complaining about that. It's not that they care about stuff in space. It's that he's helping their perceived enemy, you know? So... Anyway, anyway uh, the Musk satellites, they've got a new model that they're going to be putting up from now on, and they're actually five, four or five times bigger than the current ones. Oh, in, okay. At least, at least in terms of weight, but they are an order of magnitude more in terms of power and the things that they can do. Ah. So the, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I, I'm not, have, I don't have anything in front of me to talk about that now, but uh-huh. anyway, they've launched some already. The other interesting thing is they're packaged as sort of thin rectangular boxes so that you can put a whole bunch of them in a, on a missile, you know, uh, so they can mm-hmm. launch a bunch of them. Say rocket uh, instead wait. of missile. <laughs> oh, rock, rocket. You're right. it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine distinction, but missile has a military connotation, <laughs> whereas <laughs> rocket, you know, is a little bit more, uh, less yeah, threatening, toy, I guess. Right? 
Rocket is less threatening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah anyway. I, I, and, and for everybody's background, you know, you retired from the Air Force having worked in, in you know, the missile business. And missile so, business. you know, and again, the difference between missile and rocket is is semantics. I Harvest. mean, they're, they're, they're physically, yeah, exactly. The intended Harvest. use, Harvest. intended use. Any <laughs> rocket could be a missile. Any missile could be a rocket. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there really are, um, uh, the same thing. Yeah. You know, I looked at the Starlink when it was fir- first came out and I got on their list and they eventually they got back to me and said, Hey, you know, um, if you want it, you can, you've, you've, you're at the top of the list. Do you want it? But they wanted five hundred dollars for all the hardware. I had to buy the the the, the their dish Station. and their and their uh, you know information their their little box basically that attached to it to then provide your Wi-Fi to your house. Uh, and then it yeah. was like eighty bucks a month. And at the, and at the time they were saying yeah and and it's intermittent because we were still in beta. And I just kind of went well oh. I I don't want to spend. Eighty dollars a month plus five hundred dollars setup fee for something that's not, you know, there a hundred percent, not yet. At, at, at least it's a lot smaller than what my uncle had when he he bought his dish up. This he's a, mm-hmm. my uncle was a farmer so for the people, listeners. Right. And he bought he bought a satellite dish back when they first had satellites, and he had this monster thing in his backyard. Right. <laughs> so that yeah. He could receive TV. Right. Uh, well, those those satellite dishes are different than the data ones that we've got now. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, dish uh, sat, uh, TV satellites weren't out. This this was, precedes all of that. Right. Know? Right. Yeah. No, I actually sold those when I was in college. I worked at a uh, an electronics store, and we sold dishes. the The big one was like eight foot in diameter, and then there was a smaller one that was like. Or maybe even more like ten foot, and then there was a smaller one that was like six foot. The the big one when you bought it, you had to then also schedule professional installation. The small one basically <laughs> came on this frame that you could set up and aim yourself. And I actually yeah. went out and installed some of those and got them set up and working for people. Uh, well, I I carried one of those along on my RV when we first started full time RV in in two thousand, and uh, set it up and pointed it at several places i only used uh-huh. it if we were going to be at a location for a, maybe at least a week or more uh because it was just something i didn't want to mess with typically but mm-hmm. we we did stay more than a week at, at a lot of places you know right uh, yeah well and when you did that you were they were already the digital satellites it was a uh, direct tv satellite right Right, right. Yeah. Those were pretty easy to do. Yeah, and the dish was maybe thirty inches in diameter, something like that. It was a or not diameter, but yep. uh, uh, yeah, diameter. Um, so significantly smaller than these these old analog dishes that, you know, I mean, basically what they were doing at the time was a lot of TV was um, uh, broadcast via these satellites. And so they'd uplink and then downlink it. It wasn't encrypted or anything. In fact, it wasn't even, it was pre-edited. You could, you could cut to see like, you know, news people sitting in the newsroom, you know, before the, the feed went live chatting with people in the office and stuff. It was really bizarre to sometimes see what was being broadcast, you know, on those, yeah, uh, it was, those old ones. It was, it was meant for the commercial companies that were using right. it. Right. Uh, yeah, and once people started buying more and more of those satellite dishes, more and more of those companies started encrypting their upload and their download feeds so that you couldn't watch it without, you know, paying them money. 
because right. that's you know that's how they made their money. So, but my uncle, uncle John was an amazing guy because he had to be the guy, first guy with the technology, whatever it was. He, <laughs> he'd go out and find it and, and put it in and. I remember that Christmas when he had TV out on his farm, and man, he's grinning ear to ear. Yep, this yep. is coming in directly from the communication satellite, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember a lot of people too. That was the way you could get like HBO without having to pay for HBO, right? You get it direct from their satellite. Yeah. So, and that because you know HBO, or in a lot of places you couldn't get HBO, and if you did, you had to get it through a cable company <laughs> and pay pay extra money. You know. Now it's. Uh, mm-hmm. You know they've they've they they've blocked all those free access stuff, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. It was fun as that technology was expanding. It's funny you talk about your uncle John had to be the first with new technology. That sounds um, you know not terribly surprisingly a lot like you and a lot like me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know we, we had it in our genes. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something in in the in the genetics there that says this stuff is cool and I want to see it and have it. And show it to my friends. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so the next article up was Apple Music's spatial audio is a huge, huge advantage over Spotify. And before we even go into it, because they break down like five different reasons that it's a huge advantage, I want to say that essentially I don't disagree with any of this. It's a huge, huge advantage because they have a huge head start. It doesn't mean that that Spotify won't eventually start catching up on this stuff. But that absolutely spatial audio is a revolution in the way that they um, create recorded music. And artists, new artists going forward are foolish if they don't, from the get-go, create their music to take advantage of this. Because it does sound significantly different and on a lot of levels significantly better. I will say, though, that there are also historical recordings that I can understand artists saying, no, I don't want you to go back and remaster this as spatial audio because you're making creative choices that the artist may or may not have made. It's the same kind of thing that people had you know, issues with when they were going back and recolorizing old black and white movies. And uh, you know, I, my only thing would be don't take away the original or version of it. Just you know, you go ahead and create the new, new version and then identify that one is one and one is the other. And so people can choose to either listen to it in its original recording or not, you know? I mean, there yeah. are rich, er, early rock and roll recordings that were only recorded in monorail. They weren't stereo. And, yeah. you know, the technology to go back and, and to separate that sand out and make it a stereo recording exists. But that's making creative decisions that the artist who made the music isn't getting to make. Somebody else is making it for them. And so... Yeah. You know, my feeling is, fine, do that, but identify that as something that's been changed. It's not the original recording. Make sure the original recording still exists and is available for people to listen to so they can hear it the way it was done at that time. You know, because who knows? You know, Elvis may have absolutely loved spatial audio and said, I want all my music done that way. He may have said, no, I actually like this one in mono. Leave it there, you know? But it's not, not for me to say or you to say or even his his uh, offspring to say, you know, it's, 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 you know, one one of the, I was going to say one of the interesting things about being my age is I can go back and look at the first stereo system was a uh, record player that I won at a church uh, 
auction or you know you buy chances uh, right and uh, raffle and and I happened to win the raffle that's what it was and I was so thrilled but that one was a monophonic high fidelity that was the new thing hi-fi uh, right. uh, compared to other uh, you know radio sound at the time or whatever right and basically and hi-fi was, was an, an expanded sound stage uh sort of almost like spatial audio is but this yeah. was in terms of the um the range of frequency right so so you got yeah. you know a wider bandwidth for for bass and treble and and got a richer sound stage well it was important because for the rock and roll stuff that was out at that time it was that low booming bass that you really loved, mm-hmm. noticed first of all because right. there was always a a lead bass somewhere in the band and that you it didn't sound like a bass even before that but hi-fi made it sound like a bass instrument you know right yeah yeah so the early recordings had what we would today think of as a very compressed sound yeah so anyway uh it was also a tube type (laughs) this was before pre and, and it had actually three tubes in it. And I was young enough at the time that I didn't know anything about electronics. Mm-hmm. I uh, went down to the local drugstore uh, and w- was looking at a physics book that had a couple chapters on tubes. And I bought the physics book just to get those chapters so I figure out how vacuum tubes work. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to see what kind of tubes that I had and what did what. And so I learned electronics. <laughs> yeah, who but knew, right? One dollar ticket or something like that. Ironically, the 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 high end audio people, a lot of them will still say that best sound amplifiers have tubes in them, and they sound better as the as the tubes warm up. Yep, yep. So it cert- cert- certainly made a difference. So yeah, in fact. Uh, uh, a lot of people have gone back and bought some of those old tube things intentionally oh, yeah. just for that sound. Yeah. No, there's a lot of amplifiers that have tubes in them specifically for that purpose. Um, of course, today, to, of course, today's tubes don't even resemble those of the yesteryear. They're about an eighth the size, you know. Right. But th- that technology moved along as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because I have my old, uh, I have an old Techniques direct drive turntable that I have plugged into my sound system here in my studio, studio, my, not my studio, but my actual studio. Um, and of course, coming out of that to plug it into an amplifier, you need a preamp coming out of a turntable. And so I went mm-hmm. online to look at different preamps and I almost bought one that had, that was a, a little tube preamp. But then I went, mm-hmm. I don't know that I can really hear the difference. And I don't want to have to replace tubes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah. and so I got a solid state preamp instead. Yeah. You know, and, and well, it wasn't. You, you did the right thing because the tube life, uh, well, I'm, they probably improved as well. But right. I'm sure they be, have. That, you know, you, you didn't want to jar tubes, particularly when the element is really hot, you know. Right. Well, my feeling was that it was almost like we were talking about with windows there, right? I don't play it often, but when I do play it, I don't want to have to every time I play it go crap. I got to put a new tube in, you know, and then have a <laughs> have to stock tubes in a drawer somewhere. Uh, so I just yeah. went. You know what? I'm just I'm getting a solid state one. That way, I know when I turn it on, it's going to work. 
um, and I don't have yep. to worry about it. So, um, so anyway, this article on spatial audio, their first comment is that it creates a more realistic and engaging listening experience. Um, I would say it's different. I don't know that it's more engaging. It's probably more realistic, but it's just, it's very different than a basic stereo uh, for me. So I'm not sure I agree with their descriptive terms here. But yeah, I it's I think I I enjoy it, but I don't know that everybody does, and I don't know that every piece of music necessarily benefits from it. But but I'll, by and large, I like the idea of spatial audio, and it, and it, I think it improves the sound quality. Um, then it's not evident in all music as 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 uh, as well. Right. Some music it's more evident. That, yeah, that's what I was saying. It depends on what you're listening to, because some things that you know it's it's well done in, and I think also that you know if it's a, a newer recording that they uh, have mastered it in in Dolby Atmos for the in order to create the spatial audio right off the bat has a mm-hmm. different sound quality than an older recording that they've gone back and tried to add spatial audio to. Um, that said, I know that um, that George Martin's son. Uh, George Martin being the producer for the Beatles has gone back and, and created spatial audio versions of some of the Beatles albums. And he's going to, he's going through the whole catalog and, you know, he has access to the original multi-track tapes. And so, yeah, you know, from there you can take each discrete recording and move them out with the caveat that because they had very limited track counts back then, they sometimes would put like, two things on a single channel on the tape. So those things can't be separated very easily. They have to do it digitally after the fact. Um, yeah. So, you know, again, the, the, at least in that case, two of the four guys, you can go back and talk to them and say, Hey, are you good with this? And they've signed off on it. And then the other two are represented by family members. So it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like you're going back and changing something that was done by Buddy Holly and Buddy Holly doesn't exist or Elvis doesn't exist. Or, you know, you can't, you know, right. at least the, the original creator of the music is still alive to say, yeah, go ahead. And in that particular case, the original stereo and in some case, monorail recordings are still available. So, you know, if you want to listen to it the way they originally recorded it, that's available to you. If you want to listen to it in the spatial audio, then that's available to you too. So, you know. Well, what most what most of them realize is that any new technology gets a lot of hype with that comes with it, and therefore yeah. there will be a buying surge, and people will want to have as much of it as they can. Yeah. As long as you know it's cheap. Yeah. Well, <laughs> was it the late seventies? Quadraphonic records was a thing, you know. So it was four channel instead yeah. of two channel. Um, yeah, the industry's you know, been through this multiple times. Right, and they were trying yeah. to achieve the exact same thing that spatial audio is doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but at least with digital music, it's much easier to create that multiple-channel sound. Um, mm-hmm. So in comparing it to Spotify, they're also saying that uh, Apple spatial audio is just built-in free for anybody who wants to use it. Spotify uh, has a, a limited feature. It doesn't cover nearly as much of a catalog. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, something that, uh, you have to be one of the paid users to use, I guess. And, uh, and, and then obviously, as I just alluded to, Apple has a very wide catalog of spatial audio capable music that, uh, because they're paying to go do it, they're paying for the remastering and the recreation. Um, and, and, and as anybody knows, I mean, to, to use spatial audio or anybody who's used it knows to use spatial audio, all you have to do is find the app, the device that 
that support spatial audio and play that music, not the device, but the uh, the songs. And they're all tagged. In fact, Apple puts a playlist up of you know the newest stuff that's been converted to spatial audio at any given point in time. You can go listen to the newest things that are out there. Um, yeah. And it's very easy to listen to because basically it's supported by, uh, you know, headphones, <laughs> you know, and a, and a fair number of speakers, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And I do agree. They they say here at the end, you know, lastly, spatial audio is a step towards the f- future of audio. I agree. I think more and more, uh, you know, when you're recording, they're just going to create the recordings, the audio recordings with the intent that they're going to be, uh, you know, spatial audio. Yeah, set up as a spatial oh. audio music, which which also means that the lead that Apple has right now over Spotify is going to narrow over time because, you know, new new music is going to sure. be recorded that way. Yeah, uh, in the uh, uh, interests of time here, I have another article that I posted down below, Todd. Okay, it says how how to discover spatial audio tracks in your Apple Music Library. There's an app right now called Music Library Tracker, third party, oh, uh-huh. that basically helps you do that job. It's a it's a four dollar app though, mm-hmm. you know. So if you want it right now, but it's uh, there's no other indicators on Apple's website if you download something uh, that you necessarily know that it's, uh, you know, been updated or not. And uh, this app helps you in that regard. Yeah. I'm not sure I 100% agree with that. I mean, this app might make it much easier, but, I mean, it's not hard to find spatial audio, uh, and you can actually search for it, you know, with the search function within the music, too. So. Yeah, you know. but maybe if you, you downloaded some last week and some, you know, you don't remember what you, you had, so it, it helps you keep track of it. Sure, yeah, it and that and that makes sense, you know, because the tools are not other. They said this basically integrates with Apple Music, so, you know, it's sort of an add-on to it, um, you know, which is, you know, it's great. Anything that help you find it, because it really does, I mean, when you know, when you do like an A-B comparison between it, it sounds amazingly good. Um, I recently took my um, uh, HomePods, and I used to have them sitting in front of the television. They're still in front of the television, but I've moved them closer to me and on opposite sides of the room so that I get a wider sound field. And it's mm-hmm. it's stunning that the soundtracks of a lot of shows on Apple TV are now done in spatial audio. And uh, and so I can, like, I have a, a uh, surround sound sound bar with the subwoofer and speakers behind me and mm-hmm. I put those on by default but then when I turn on the Apple speakers as well for sound it's suddenly just like it's like a, a page is turned almost the sound quality just becomes that much richer and and that much more separation and and much more immersive um, hmm. you know and it sounds really really good um, and what's interesting, and I didn't realize this when I first set it up, is you don't have to pick one or the other. You can have both of them on simultaneously. Uh, and so I've got, you know, actual active speakers working behind me and a subwoofer built into my, uh, my uh, you know, soundbar system. And yet then I've also got the two HomePods on either side of the room that are creating that sort of like soundstage in the middle. Yeah, uh, just it's really, really immersive sound. Sounds great. 
You know, what's amazing to me, though, is that these little AirPods Pro that I have, the earbuds, uh -huh. uh, allow you to hear the spatial sound. They do? You know? Yeah. And, and that's shockingly good as well, isn't it? For tiny little earbuds. It, is, it really is. You know, yeah. and you can really tell. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Uh, One thing I've noticed is. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say a lot of a lot of people have those, so that you they don't do. really need to go out and make a special investment if you already have the pros. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. And, and they they are far superior because they also have the rubber. It uh, sounds like we're sitting in the garbage disposal. Okay, she shut it off. <laughs> oh, mom got home and I didn't close the yeah. door. Yeah, yeah, be. I can hear her and talking to the dog, but yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. But the um, yeah the. Uh, the the sound quality out of a tiny little earbud uh, is pretty pretty fantastic already. But then when you add this this sort of three dimensional immersive sound to it, it's just it's it's it really is stunning. I mean that's just the best word I can use. The, yeah. You know the the quality of that sound is something. What I was going to say is I've noticed with space, with things that are mastered for spatial audio or have been remastered in spatial audio is that the balance of specific instruments in a song is different. I'm not going to say what it's better or not, but I can like pick out specifically like the bass line or the lead, you know, the rhythm guitar and the lead guitar because they, hmm. they have separated the, them into different, um, uh, spatial areas. Yeah. Yeah. Locations within your sound field that you can hear that more distinctly. And so there's a clarity that comes with, with the spatial audio that I find very interesting. Um, and yeah. in particular, well, there well, were some songs by um, Fleetwood Mac that I just, I've listened to several times over in spatial audio just for that reason alone, because it's really interesting to suddenly say, oh, you know, I can, I can close my eyes and say, okay, the bass is sitting here and the guitar is now over here. And, you know, and one of the voices is coming from this spot and another voice is coming from that spot. Yeah. And, and each of them seem to have more clarity because, well, and I think part of the thing is too, when they're remastered for spatial audio, they're probably going in and digitally cleaning up the recordings, especially if they were older analog recordings. So you're getting, you know, you are getting a higher quality sound just, you know, by default. But then the fact that they're yeah. separated allows you to hear things much more, um, much differently, I think. And I, and I enjoy that. That's a nice sensation. Yep. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's pretty amazing technology and it's, uh, it, you, you think, well, we're, are we at the end of the line now? Probably not. Somebody will come up with some other thing yeah. somewhere in the future, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, if, you, so... if you'd asked me, you know, a year ago, are they going to change, you know, is there what, what are going to be the big changes in the way we listen to recorded sounds? I would have said, I can't think of anything that they would do. I mean, what, what else are they going to do, right? I've got two ears. They've yeah. got two things going in, you know, a thing going directly into each ear. How is that going to change or get better? And voila, yeah. it changed and got better. Yeah. It is. It's just just yeah. uh, stunning, really. Well, I think we've uh, so. talked about that enough. Uh, we, we got uh, Ming-Chi Ku says, Apple plans more affordable mixed reality headset in 2025. Yeah. So 
the problem with this whole technology is the cost. I mean, it can right. do some neat stuff, but the price pricing of the product uh, is just uh, got you know it's totally out of hand. And so they're 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 trying to work that problem, but it's going to take a couple of years to do it. Right. Well, I mean, and that's you know they're they're he you know he's making a comment about a later version of a product that hasn't been introduced yet. So, so what does that right. mean? You know, again, it's, it's one of those things is like, well, okay, take it for what it's worth. You know, the well, rumor, the is, rumor is, is the rumor is they're going to, their initial introduction is going to be this year and it's going to be a $3,000 item, which means essentially, the yeah, it's they for developers be. and for corporations. It's not something you and I are going to go buy cause we want to, you know, play with it. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's always yeah. the the way to do this anyway, right? Because you, you come out with something, you want some product that you can use it on, and so, so the right. developers have to get their hands on it. Well, and in fact, they might even you know blatantly say when they introduce it, if they do this year, that this is not a product; it's a developer's kit. You know, prior yeah. to the switch to Apple Silicon, developers who who were registered could could order a developer's kit for like five or six hundred dollars and that way you would then have you know you could test your code on a machine that would run on apple silicon even though it was not a product that would ever be released to the public uh and mm-hmm. then at the end of that the development period when they started actually releasing apple silicon computers the developers were told they had to return that and they would be credited however much they spent on it, that five or $600 uh, in, in its entirety towards the purchase of an actual released product that then ran on Apple Silicon. Um, you know, but everybody had to return it. And that developer's kit wasn't ever intended for, for you and, you know, me specifically or for, for the average schmo. Uh, and it's very possible that the first version of their uh, mixed reality headsets is going to be the same thing, right? Developers get a way to start testing and writing software. Uh, and then at some point, an actual product will be released. And then they'll say, okay, give us back those developers kits and we'll give you, uh, you know, an actual product that we'll maintain and support. So, yep. and that seems more likely than anything else. I don't know. You know, again, <laughs> we don't know. There's a lot of supposition going on here. So... <laughs> So. Well, anyway, also associated with is just a couple down is Apple Glasses launch will still years away, right? And this they tell us why in the article. Yeah. But you know, it's because uh, you want to. This is has a special problem in that they have to look nice. That people won't wear glasses if they don't. Look yeah. Right. Well, and you need something not only that looks nice. It's got to be very but, small and light and have long battery. Which yeah. You know, those two things are not necessarily compatible. I think they're saying basically that the underlying technologies to make this workable don't yet exist. And so That's, so therein yeah. lies the problem. Yeah, so uh, this is a product similar to what we were talking about before. The mixed right. reality headset is a headset-looking device. Yeah, it looks uh, like ski goggles. Not, yeah, but kids or people playing games or whatever that want to do, you know, the first stuff that comes out. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll both be just fine with this kind of a thing uh, sitting around their playroom. But uh, the glasses are meant for people to wear out, you know, amongst the, yeah. the world. And and so... Uh, yeah, when you go grocery shopping 
and and your go- your 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 fancy goggles, your smart glasses, can tell you you know walk route you through the grocery store so that you make one pass and pick up everything you need and can get in line most efficiently. That's when they're right. they've got a workable product. Um, and like we were right. saying, there's just there's there's not enough technology. There, there's problems in that design requirement <laughs> that technology cannot yet meet, and so yeah, and, and I'm not and I'm not sure you're willing to spend a heck of a lot of money to get this capability either, you know. Yeah, depends on how functional it is. The the early adopters, the techies, you know, like your your oh, yeah. <laughs> the people oh, yeah. in our family who have the same genes as your uncle, you and I have, <laughs> we'll go get them. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The average smo. Is not, you know, but you and I also wear glasses. I mean, I wear mine most of the time and you wear yours virtually all the time. So getting a pair of glasses that now have enhanced capabilities is not a, you know, it's kind of a no brainer. Right. Right. But if you don't wear glasses, then, you know, buying these things in order to pick up some functionality so that you can now wear glasses, that might be a little bit tougher sell, you know. I think that's a tougher sell than, than trying to convince somebody who has not traditionally worn a watch to buy a watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Todd, Todd I think I discovered an, another issue that what you ordered won't solve, and that is, is my headset wire mm-hmm. uh, affects this going on and off as well. So it's got pinched or something because I'm not moving the plug at all, and I can switch it on and off. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so well, have, my headset's got a problem. <laughs> well, does your headset have a switch on it that allows you to, uh, to like mute it, or is there any, or is it just a wire? It's just a wire. Okay, because some headsets, wire. you know, have a have halfway down the headset, they've got a little like switch built into it. Yeah, and I suspected this a little while ago, and then I'm so I tried to move the wire so it wouldn't move. Right. And now I figured out that there's a bad spot in the wire here. So what you're telling me is you need a decent pair of heads a decent headset as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah Maybe so. one with a replaceable uh wire so that you so that when it goes bad you could replace it without replacing the whole headset. Well, and the other thing is I'm never going to get another headset that doesn't have a good feeling. I've got to go to a store to buy it. I want to know that right. it feels good. You know. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. So anyway, it's just another. So next thing that was up, we said we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, and this maybe will be our last thing because we're probably talked enough today. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, the National League and Policy Center, which is a uh, an ethics watchdog group, basically, has filed an exempt solicitation with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Wednesday, and what they were doing is urging shareholders to vote against Al Gore as a director. Uh, he's up for re-election, apparently, uh, on the board for uh, Apple corporate, as well as the same feeling towards uh, uh, Tim Cook. And they say that mm-hmm. basically that Gore is not and never has been qualified to sit on the Apple's board of directors, that his political activism poses to Apple a reputational risk that is not worth his limited skill set in the area of technology. And then they also basically say that uh, Tim Cook being on the board is essentially a 
uh, conflict of interest in that the board is the person, the, the group that is supposed to hold a CEO responsible for doing their job and that any CEO, sh- note that no CEO should be on the board of the company for which they are CEO. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're urging uh, Apple shareholders when the vote comes up for the board that uh, uh, that they should not select Al Gore. And this is not a, you know, a political attack on Al Gore because he's, you know, Democratic or, or you know, not, you know, it's not based on that. It's based on the fact that he is he, he does not now and never has had any experience in the technology field. And uh, and they feel that his um, his work, he, you know, he's done a, post his political career. He's done a whole bunch of of speaking and writing about uh, activism in the environment and stuff. And that that poses a reputational risk to Apple. And so, you know, if if he were highly technical and had a lot of of input on on what's going on, you know, that the decisions that have to be made at Apple and the direction that Apple should be going, then maybe that would offset the uh the the fact that he's seen as as somewhat of a um uh, uh, a risk in terms of his political activism, but uh uh since he doesn't sure have any see- background <laughs> You, you you can sure see why they want to be on the board, though. There's this corporate governance institute that says Apple's non-executive directors each receive approximately $250,000 worth of rest- restricted stock units per year. Per year, each, right. Yeah. And, and cash retainer and, of $100,000. Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, there's several committees within the board. If you're the chair of the board, you get an additional $200,000. If you're on the audit committee chair, $35,000 additional. The compensation committee chair, $30,000. And the nominating committee chair receives $25,000. Also, Uh, they all get free Apple products upon request for every new product that comes out, as well as a discount on anything that they want to get. And that discount is yeah. probably, you know, at cost, which in Apple's case, there's a fair markup on a lot of stuff. So they can get stuff fairly cheap. So yeah, being on the board, I, I am more qualified to sit on the board than Al Gore is in uh, terms of technical, uh, absolutely technical know-how. Sign me up. And I, I will absolutely suffer through <laughs> that, that terrible, uh, you know, compensation package and, and serve to help Apple. Um, in any way, shape, or form that I can. So I nominate me. But, me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You anyway, know, that- um, I, I don't disagree with them. I don't disagree with them. I mean, let's face it, though. This is the 21st year, <laughs> that the 21st yeah. term for Al Gore. He's been, you know, he's been on the Apple's board for um, for 21 years. Apple Cook has been on the board for 12. I doubt very strongly that anybody i mean let's face it during the term of of these two guys being on the board apple has become the largest most successful and most valuable company in the world um, <laughs> whether or not they're ethically or correctly should have been there it's going to be a hard sell to say we need to make change really is you know because either one of them can point to the bottom line and go okay but and then just point at the dollars and say if you've bought apple stock you're you know we've made you rich complain yeah you know and so i like i said i don't disagree but i don't think anything's going to happen nothing's going to come of it yeah you know yeah 
Oh, yeah. The politics of this is uh, is what right. it's all about. Right. And in I, fact, the, initially Apple had uh, some things to gain with Gore on board because he was the vice president. And, he uh, wasn't on board until well, after well, he was no longer vice president. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. I will say <laughs> this though, and 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 it to to his, you know, to his defense. A case can be made, and I don't think it's a bad case at all, that not everybody on the board necessarily has to have a technical bent, that each of them brings different things. Al Gore knows how to talk to high-level people, having been a vice president of a country, uh, and, and, and particularly this country, and, and has connections with lots of people in lots of different industries and can open doors that I certainly couldn't in a million years. And so— yep. You know, that brings value to his position on the board. So saying that he doesn't have the technical expertise to sit there is a little disingenuous. Right. Yeah. You know. In fact, in fact, there's a lot of reasons why not having all technical people on the board are important. I agree. You know, I think that yeah. that that, uh, you know, as much as it's fun to poke at at somebody and say, well, yeah, look, he doesn't have any technical expertise at all. Um, a, he's been sitting on the board for 21 years. I'm sure he's picked up a few things. <laughs> and and B, you know, he brings a different set of skills and a different set of connections and and understanding and knowledge and relationships that can be of value to the company. You know, if Apple's deciding yeah. to go into the business, into the auto industry, you know, he knows people who are at the very top of the auto industry because as vice president, he probably, you know, rubbed elbows with some of these people. And so he could probably well, pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, well, can you take a meeting? Apple is a world. Apple is a worldwide business. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, it's connections around the world. Yeah. That matter. Yeah. You know, as a former vice president, he can pick up the phone and call somebody who sits on the, you know, who's who's maybe president of, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, pick a country, uh, you know, pick up the phone and, and call and, and say, hey, and, and they'll take the call. Right. You know, and beside beside he was Steve Jobs, buddy. It was Jobs call when he got on the board. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but but, you know, you don't think that Steve Jobs didn't know that, hey, you know, if I need somebody to pick up the phone and call somebody over in China because we're trying to open a new factory there, that they're going to pick up the phone when he calls more than they are when I call, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, and of course, now we have an established relationship in China, you know, we meaning Apple. Uh, so, you know, you don't necessarily need him to open doors there. But, you know, he still has connections. You know, he he, he could. Again, pick up the phone and call somebody who's a leader in India or, you know, in Australia. People are going to answer the phone when they're going to say former vice president of the United States is calling. doesn't matter who he is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's th that that has a certain amount of gravitas and having that person on your board has value. And so, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I, I don't necessarily disagree. Yeah. And, hey, it's a job I would love to have. But uh yeah, it, it, this is not going to go anywhere. You know, as long as he yep. wants to be on this board, they're going to keep him there. There's no reason to kick him off. And same thing with Tim Cook. You know, it's it, it's like putting him on the board uh, is sort of like a you know feather in the cap of CEOs, and he's certainly not the only CEO that sits on the board of the company that he's CEO of. Um, so well. And, and why antagonize him when he's within a couple of years of bailing anyway? He right. probably would 
rather right. stay on the board than to have his job as running the company. Right. You know? And I could see that very much happening, right? When he retires, he stays as a board member for a period of time while somebody else takes yeah. over. Um, you know, and then at some point in time, as an attaboy to that person and an incentive to keep them on board, you then make them, you know, put them on the board and then Tim Cook retires from the company completely, you know, um, and that's kind of transition has been done before with other companies. It's not unusual at all. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, in, a part of me looks at this article and says, well, maybe it was a slow week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I understand them saying, you know, and and I kudos to the uh, to the National Legal and Policy Center for for pointing it out. Right. At least be aware of it. People should be aware of that kind of thing and think about it and saying, well, you know, as you if you have stock in a company and you get to vote on who your board of directors is, you know, look at those people and say, well, what value do they have? What are they really bringing to the board? You know, yep. uh, you know, if uh, if they're not doing, you know, is there somebody else who could do a better job for the for the corporation? And if so, then maybe you need to make that thought, get that person nominated, get that person on the ballot. Um, yeah. You know, because that that does have a lot to say about how, you know, how a corporation is governed. So, yeah, uh, let, let's just uh, wrap up here by mentioning a couple things. Today, yeah. the price went up on batteries for iPhones by 20 bucks. They've been announcing it for a while. Today's the day. That's right. So yeah. if, you, if you need a new battery for your iPhone, you should have bought it yesterday. That's right. I'm sorry <laughs> to give you the bad news here. Yeah. It's uh, March 1st today as we record, by the way. <laughs> anyway, and also uh, the... Uh, uh, Qualcomm has been making the modems, particularly 5G, for Apple for some time, and they're now right. saying in, in uh, the iPhone 16, which is we're, we're just on 14 now, aren't we? Right, yeah. 15 is this fall, so, so 16 is so, over a year away. Anyway, that Apple's finally got in there for the modem, uh, according to Qualcomm. Yeah. Well. Uh, Qualcomm <laughs> is saying it kind of gives it more steam than... If yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that does at least say that that indicates, you know, if Apple doesn't want to announce it, but they've told Qualcomm that, you know, they were probably contractually obligated to tell Qualcomm, <laughs> hey, you know, in two years, we're not going to be buying the, uh, you know, X number of million of these units from you anymore. And so right. Qualcomm then is under no obligation to keep that secret. So, and in fact, probably are under an obligation to announce it because it's going to affect their bottom line. And so they're required to disclose, hey, we've got yep. information that's going to affect our business. So, yep. uh, yeah, so, we'll see. And- I, I'm curious. I mean, one would think that Apple would not switch to their modems unless they're absolutely certain that they're as good or better. But, you know, what was it, yep. the iPhone 4, I think it was, that some units had it at Qualcomm and some had an Intel modem in them. And... Uh, Qualcomm actually sued Apple because Apple was slowing down the Qualcomm modems so that they were the same speed as the Intel modems because the Intel modems just weren't as good. (laughs) But depending on which factory your phone was made in, it might get one or the other. And so Apple had said, well, the Intel modems meet the spec that we had created. The Qualcomm modems exceeded that. So we'll just slow down the Qualcomm modems so that people don't complain about which one they got. Except that Qualcomm yeah. said that makes us look bad. And so once that became public, so. 
yeah. and then the last thing was kind of interesting. It's um, Google has been advertising this feature for their Google Pixel phones pretty heavily for quite a while now, where you can identify something and tap on it, and then it'll use an AI to basically remove that thing from your picture. And so it, it'll fill in behind what was there, even though it doesn't have any of that information. It'll just re, it'll crawl, uh, you know, copy the surrounding information and decide what it's supposed to look like behind where it is, what you took out of the photo. Um, and they've been touting it as a function on their, their phones, but it was clear that it really wasn't a function on their phones. It was a function on their servers that the phone, like all of the stuff that's done in Google, they do most of their processing at the server end, not actually on the device, which Apple's the exact opposite. The Apple wants to do all their processing on device. Uh, but the advantage of doing it on the servers is you can do it anywhere, right? Yeah. And so uh, they now say on your iPhone, if you use Google's um, Google Photos, that you can then open up a photo, tap on a person or thing in your photo, and it'll like highlight it, and then you can say delete, and it'll delete it and basically fill in the background so that it looks like they were never there. So I don't know enough about Google Photos, but I'm assuming that you can take pictures and get them in there pretty, transfer them in there pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, so that you can edit them or whatever. Yeah, you know, there's a then, fair then number of people done, who use back. Google Photos rather than Apple's uh, uh, iCloud Photos as a way to, to store their photos and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's not hard at all to do that. And but anyway, it. It, it, it's, it's just a little bit of a hassle because of the Google uh, – transition in mm -hmm. here but it's but it's a neat capability if you look at it the, the descriptions of it where you can take objects out of a out of a picture that you don't want in there like some people in the background that you know distract from what you're doing yeah and uh what, whatever right uh, well this is interesting they're saying that not only do you have to have google photos you also have you also have to have a google one subscription so this is only available to people paying for a google one subscription so this is not something that they're making available to everybody so it's so apple right. you know google's charging you some money but uh but you know i mean if you want to take advantage of their services then i would rather pay money for their services than to uh have them have their app you know, well <laughs> to have them selling all kinds of information about me in order to to pay for me using their services. That said, they probably still collect all kinds of information about you and sell them to make money. So in addition to charging you, they're now making money two, two ways. So Yeah, the Google Photos are still in your phone, right? <laughs> right. Well, and Google, much like Facebook, very often if they're running apps, those apps will track, you know, as much as the operating system will allow them to track, meaning even though you're running Google Photos, if you go to a web page, they'll track which web pages you're going to. Uh, and certainly if you're using their their browser, uh, uh, but, you know, if you're using Chrome yeah. as your browser. But they'll also track you know, any photos. They're going to track not only, you know, uh, uh, you know they're going to store the photo for you, but they're also going to take note of where the photo was taken, use photo recognition to know who the photo was of, and they keep all that information because they'll use that to market to you. Well, as soon as you get that Google Photos thing on app on your phone, you'll hear this big vacuum going on. If you're just yeah. sucking it all right, all out of your phone. data going right up to the Google Cloud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh. That's anyway. funny. You know, it, it'd be funny if, if uh, you know, in the next version of iOS, Apple says, you know, anytime data leaves your phone, we're going to play this sound. <laughs> so how often would your phone be going? 
<laughs> People be walking around muting their phones all the time because that's all they would be hearing, right? Yeah. Between there goes some more of my data. <laughs> between the the apps from Meta and the uh, and the the Google apps, they're you know they're sending stuff all the time. And quite frankly, oh. uh, Apple likes to make a distinguishing thing between you know collecting data to sell ads to you versus collecting data so that we can make our operating system better for you, but they're still collecting data. Apple's collecting data on you too. So, you know, they, 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 um, they do it in a slightly different way and for slightly different reasons. And, you know, they like to, to kind of present a, uh, a, as if they're from, you know, taking the higher road or something, but they're, you know, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. By the way, I, I didn't uh, load it to talk about it today, but I do want to bring up one thing is that uh, <clears throat> Meta, which is, of course, the uh, cover corporation for Facebook, has uh, is now starting to charge people for using Facebook. And mm -hmm. I, I think the minimum is four dollars or something like that. And if you don't uh, tell them explicitly that you don't want the to uh, to pay for this. Uh, apparently, I, I and I don't know how they're going to charge you because I don't think Facebook has my credit card, and if they do, it's probably expired. But in any case, they they're trying to for people that are currently using it. They're I guess getting bills. We got one from our friend warning about this that she got this bill and she put this thing notice on on uh, Facebook that they're not allowed to to. Uh, Okay. Provide any services that cost money. I, but there's I, several kinds of membership too. I think you're getting it a little bit wrong. They're not charging everybody. What they have said is that they're going to start charging for their blue check mark. The blue check mark means that you've been verified, so that your account now is you. They have there's a way to verify you, and they go through a process to do that. And so what they're saying is is that users who have gotten the blue check mark, if you want to keep it, you're going to have to start paying us a monthly fee. Well, but if you're not verified, which that. is the vast, vast majority of people, then they're not charging. But that's that's a eleven or twelve dollar fee for that. Right. One. There's several different aspects to this thing. So I I think that they're trying to get as many people to cough up as they can. Well, there, Meta has. Meta has said that they that they will start charging for the blue check mark. There's supposition that they're going to start charging or they may start charging for services otherwise and creating a subscription uh, process because and and largely that's because Meta has been very hurt by iOS's blocking their tracking because uh, oh. the vast majority of their 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 people who have actually been like buying stuff based on their ads. Are Apple users. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that people want Apple users is because Apple users have a larger amount of discretionary income um, and uh, and are willing to use it. And so um, the there's a supposition, but Meta has not announced anything, that Meta will um, provide a, a subscription version of their app. And then supposedly when you pay for that subscription, you'll be able to like opt out of being tracked because you're paying for it. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't have the details of it, but uh, one of the mm -hmm. sent her an email this morning saying, just copy the top part of your thing over into the Facebook app. You can avoid all this hassle. 
and it had to do with a four dollar a month or four dollar i don't know what per period uh, it sounded like four dollars charge okay so, sounds to me like maybe there's also some hokum going on uh by companies trying to take advantage of the fact that some stuff is changing and they're confusing people uh maybe so maybe so so that i i only mentioned that part of it because she got this email yeah. from her friend so yeah but i would so. i would question whether or not maybe that's a phishing thing where she's being uh uh tricked into paying some money somehow uh cuz nothing yeah. from meta has not announced anything in terms of just you know the general okay. oh. um uh usage charge or anything like that so oh. but there has okay. been some there has been some supposition for a while that they would maybe have a we won't track you if you pay a subscription fee type of setup uh, which avoids them having to worry about tracking you in ads because they're losing the ability to track in a lot of instances on a lot of devices because Apple has, you know, kind of moved to make it harder for them to do that. Yeah. So, and they're seeing a huge revenue drop as a result. So, so we'll see. Okay. Sounds like they're getting desperate for cash. Sounds like it. I will um, uh, keep an eye on it. But, you know, being one of those people who has pretty much spoken out against the fine Facebook <laughs> world <laughs> from almost day one. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have a whole lot vested here. I, I could care less. Um, you know, I've never been a Facebook user. I, I have a Instagram account that I occasionally check when my daughter sends me a text and says, Hey, I sent you something on Instagram and then I'll go look at well, it. <laughs> but see, she literally I, I has to tell me, or, tell me to go look at it, to go see it. <laughs> You so that you see there really is no way to sign out of Facebook. Right. Uh, because I I became a non-user but yeah. my wife dials in occasionally just to see what's on there. Right. Uh but you know I'm sure they recording that as I'm still a user because right. you know, Oh absolutely. Yeah, cuz there is a, there is a way to go in and say inactivate my account. But all you have to do is log back in once and it reactivates it. And so if you, you know, you say uses it occasionally, if she logs into the same account that you inactivated, it suddenly yeah. becomes active again. And quite frankly, inactivating it is buried in the menus. They make it very hard because they don't want you to inactivate it, you know, yeah. so and canceling is even harder. I mean, canceling, it's, you know, there's a longstanding joke about the two hardest things to cancel is a Facebook account and a subscription to the New York Times. <laughs> Uh, I used to have a New York Times, and I I, I do recall that I, yeah. I said you're not getting any money from me, so you just as well give up. I've won. Right. Yeah. <laughs> After I, I had the I used to get the New York Times, the Sunday Times only. You know, just I thought you know let's get a real newspaper and 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 you know read the Sunday Times. Um, and when I canceled it, it took three phone calls. To get to it, actually, you can order it and do all kinds of things online. You can never cancel online. You actually have to talk to somebody. Yeah. And then they always send you to somebody else who then tries to convince you to keep it or tries to convince you to just, yeah. well, you know, how about just the, you know, once in a while subscription or the, and all the while they keep sending you the dumb paper. And then at some point yeah. somebody says, well, you know, we kept sending you the paper, so you should at least, you know, I'm like, I didn't ask for it. I yep. told you cancel it. You know, if you want to keep sending yep. them to me, that's your problem. It just means I have to go pick it up off my driveway and carry it to the trash can. <laughs> that's exactly what I told them. Yeah. 
So that's yeah. on you. But they are notorious for being difficult to cancel. They, you know? they were. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. And, fa- and Facebook is right up there with them, I tell you. <laughs> they are on uh, of two of the same branch. Let's put it that way. Or, or yeah. two leaves on the same branch. But uh, anyway. Hey, um, I just realized, too, here, I sent you a interesting article on Webopedia about what is Visual Basic for applications. It was, you know, you're just talking about walking down memory lane. It'd be an interesting read. I, I've kind of glanced through it. I'll probably go back and read it more in depth later. But uh, I shared that with you. Uh, so. Well, it's a really short article. I don't know if there's something. Oh, I was it? Oh, okay. Probably. Okay. Yeah, they've got some hot spots, so I might have. To oh, you're right. It's like one paragraph. I thought there was more than that. Hold on. Uh, embedded in an, it, it, it's embedded in the individual application. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, it's basically just a definition of what it is. I'm sorry. I thought there was an actual article there. I had. When I looked at it originally, maybe I sent the wrong link. Shoot. Oh, well. Oh, it says also see Visual Basic edit, Editor. So that'll tell yeah. you about the the. That's another – it's another like basically one paragraph to tell you just a oh, definition yeah. of what that is. I I think I sent you the wrong link. So anyway, you can do some search and around if, read about it again. But re, since we <laughs> since we remembered what the um, – you know, that was you know, it took us a while to remember the exact name, Visual Basic for Applications, VBA. Uh yeah. you know. So and it was interesting too that you know the VBA actually does have a visual basic editor built into the system too. So you base you know, you've got a, a, yep. a little developer well, environment specifically for VBA. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, they go together. They yeah. go hand in hand. Yeah. So yeah. cool stuff. Yeah, it's almost worth getting a um a uh, license for um, Parallels and uh, and Windows to run inside of Parallels, isn't it? Well, I, yeah, I was going to say, if it doesn't cost too much, I might just do that. I bet you it ends up costing you a couple hundred bucks, though, because Microsoft charges for the dumb license. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Parallels. For Mac, let's just do a quick check and see what. Because Parallels used to sell a version of Parallels with a license for Mac or for for Windows, right on it. You know, you could buy it just as as. Yeah. Okay, you can get a new license or upgrade to the newest version. So a new license, what's that cost? Parallels Desktop Standard Edition is ninety nine dollars, and that. Does not even that does not include the license to run the operating system. That just gives you the virtualization software, uh, mm-hmm. and it allows you to emulate an eight gigabyte machine with four CPUs, which is enough for doing what you want to do. That's interesting. Yeah. They, they charge more for uh, Pro Edition and Business Edition, and one of the things that the Pro Edition does is allow you to emulate a hundred and twenty eight gigabyte. Uh, machine with 32 virtual cpus so that's interesting that it Hmm. yeah wonder wonder why none of this same stuff seems to me to be very processor intensive so yeah i don't know why you would want more unless you were um you know running a a business level you know windows app that needed more oomph but certainly for office stuff, the base one's fine. I mean, the difference is twenty bucks. Yeah. So, 
And let's see, if you're upgrading, it's 69 bucks. And if you're a student, it's only 50 bucks. So, but you haven't been a student for a while. Well, I'm always a student perpetually. There you go. Oh, hey, they have a promotion for military. <laughs> they have one? Parallels desktop for military. Active military save 25% on the pro version. But you're not active. No. I'm pretty militant, though. Yeah. <laughs> you're inactive. <laughs> you're pretty inactive, too. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway. The only one that really leads to anything is the one that just says Visual Basic, where then it goes into some detail. But that's not the VBA. That's the full right. Visual Basic. Oh, here you go. If you go to their site and then click on Run Windows for, uh, go to the Windows for Mac, not the Pro version, just Windows for Mac. You can download a free trial. I think you get like thirty days free to play with it. Huh. But I still don't know if it doesn't say. I don't think that includes. The Windows operating system. I think you have to, uh, you have to get Windows uh, separately for that. Hmm. Okay, so they're saying that users will be able to bring their own Windows 11 license keys if they have a key that can be used to activate Windows. So. So, Probably the cheapest way to get Windows is to buy one of those cheap machines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what costs to get a, like, you know, to buy a license for Windows. So. Yeah. Well. It helps if I anyway. could type Windows instead of Winfos. But uh, I just thought, I'm curious, I, like, what does Windows cost these days? So you can download it for free. Uh, so, you, uh, so you could so you could get parallels on a thirty day thing. Download Windows for free. Now, when you download it for free, what does it do or not do until you have? Uh, doesn't say quick and easy. Like, what is it? Um, you know, what does Windows do? You know, well, without without think, the you know, with licensing. So yeah, yeah. Listening to me look up Windows licensing information is probably not great uh, podcasting, is it? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, why don't we just log off and say goodbye until yeah. next mon Monday? We're yeah, going back to that's right. Soon. We're back to Mondays. Yeah, I, this and was my what? last week of morning workouts, and in fact, I don't have practice on Friday, so tomorrow is my last. Morning workout. The last day we're supposed to get pouring rain, and I got to be out in it. Yay! Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So okay, Todd's been been fun. It's been fun. We'll see everybody uh, next week, or actually, I won't see anybody next week, but but we'll be talking again next week. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great weekend. Bye -bye. If I don't talk to you sooner, bye bye. <laughs>